Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Nearer to Christ. I pray God you would draw them this morning. There's someone here who does not know what the free pardon of sin is. I pray God you would draw them close to you this morning. Father, I pray you anoint your word and for this few minutes, God, that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us this morning. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. This is the account that took place after the cross and before Easter Sunday. In verse 51, Joseph, the Bible says he was waiting for the kingdom of God. But verse 54 tells us that it was a preparation day. It was a Sabbath day. Was about The Sabbath was about to begin. That day was a Jewish people's day of rest. What Sabbath means, it means to cease from labor. It means to stop working. It means no work could be taking place. Basically, it is the suspending, the waiting, preparation, which, which really means this. It really means that nothing going on. So they thought nothing was going on kind of day. They were stuck between the two days. Friday, I call the day of pain. And Sunday, the day of promise. I call the day of promise. As you all know, if you've ever had pain and had to go through anything in your life and God came through it in a situation, there's a gap between the pain and the promise. Is that not right? If you've ever gone through anything in your life, there's the experience of the pain that you situation of what you're going through and the gap between the pain and when the promise comes. And so some of you are living in that gap right now. There's a gap and many of you are in the Saturday of life right now. You're in between the pain and the promise. You've experienced something difficult and you know God is going to come through. But I'm stuck right here in the middle. Now many know he's the Alpha and the Omega, right? He's the beginning and the end. But let me tell you this morning, he's also the God of the middle this morning. He's also the God of in between. He's also the God of between the pain and the suffering and the promise of him working it out and bringing you through. He's the God of the middle this morning. And how many know I'm going to help you this morning because... We're going to talk a little bit about they were waiting. The Sabbath, when you don't think anything is going on, but there is. That gap between the pain and the promise. What today's message is going to say to us is this. Waiting is a real part of your spiritual journey. That's very hard for us that live in an instant society, isn't it? I mean, we don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore, y'all. Y'all know that? Like, we don't even have to go to the store. We can just get on the computer. We can click, click. And uh, it's at your door before you can even get off the computer. I don't know how Amazon does it. But we live in an instant society. A lot of us begin to think, and a lot of us came in here today. And you think that you've experienced this pain or this difficulty, or this struggle. 
and you're not sure that God is working or that God is doing anything about it. But I can assure you that God is working. God is working on your behalf. And I've come to encourage the fire out of some of you today. You, you think nothing is going on. All you know is the body is laying in the tomb, it's lifeless, and that nothing is happening. That's where you are. The truth is something is happening. His body was there, but, the, but God is always working in ways that we cannot see. The scripture tells us that his body was there, but his spirit was not. That his spirit had risen. And there's a lot of theology behind, around this. I've chosen not to dive into the theology of that this morning. There's a lot of debate about what happened between the time that Jesus died and when he rose. We have very few scripture on it, and uh, it's, it's very debated. I've read a lot upon, upon it. Matter of fact, I've spent a lot of time studying it. I wrote my senior paper on this passage of scripture. So I've spent a lot of time. I have a lot of notes and research, and there are a lot of theories. Uh, there is the belief that Jesus went and confronted hell. And some say and even said that he had to go to hell to experience it because he took on sin of, because he took on the sin of the world. In other words, Jesus had to go to hell, confront hell because he took on the sins of the world and he had to experience it and confront it. My personal belief is this. Is he already paid for sin when he said on the cross, it is finished. And, and for sin had taken, for he had taken sin upon himself. And, and when he died, he, did, he died in victory. He did not die as a sinner. He took on sin, but the moment he gave his life, sin was paid for. How many are thankful your sin was paid for? The moment that he took our sins. There's a lot of verses that talk about what happened between the gap, between Friday and Sunday on that Saturday. Ephesians 4.9 tells us this. Ephesians 4.9 says, Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Who he descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill, fulfill all things. What a great passage of Scripture. He descended. Now that Scripture I read to you in 1 Peter is an interesting passage of Scripture. It says that he descended into the lower parts, or into Hades, that he may preach to the spirits that were there. I love this passage of Scripture. Because it comes out of, the root of this Scripture comes out of Genesis chapter 8. When the Bible said that the angels who had come and slept with the daughters of men. And uh, they had come and they had violated creation. They had these, these demon spirits had come and manifested in the flesh and slept with the daughters of men. And God judged them. And the Bible says that He put them in prison. He put them in hell. He took these spirits and imprisoned them. And you say, well, why would they do that? Why would they come and sleep with the daughters of men and try to create uh, uh, supernatural beings. Why would they do that? Well, you know what the promise is in Genesis 3, 
When the Bible says that, that, that she shall bore a son and he shall uh, crush his head and he shall bruise his heel. That's a prophecy of the coming Messiah. God had a plan for Jesus to come immediately when man sinned. That was the promise of the coming Messiah. So Satan's plan was to dilute the bloodline. If Satan could dilute the bloodline of Jesus, then what he could do is is that he could destroy the bloodline and Jesus' bloodline would not be sinless. We even know that one time in the Old Testament, there was just one small king boy that was hidden that was part of the descendant and the bloodline of Jesus going through the Old Testament. So the Bible tells us that Jesus went down into the lower parts of the earth where the spirits were. These spirits that came and tried to dilute the bloodline, who tried to keep Jesus from coming through the bloodline. And the Bible said Jesus went down there to proclaim to them, to show them that what they tried to stop, they could not stop. And that he came and died and that he rose again. He proclaimed himself and presented himself to the spirits that were in hell. Could you imagine that scene? Him walking in? I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. We made it. We're through it. And so, he preached. He made a proclamation to the spirits that were in prison. A place called Shaul, or hell, or Hades. To bring out, also to bring out the Old Testament believers. The truth is, is that actually he was not just lying in the tomb, but he was confronting hell. That's why for years believers recite part of the, lit- the liturgy of the creeds, the Apostle Creed. How many's heard of the Apostle Creed or the Lycene Creed? These creeds were created that they, in lethargy and liturgy that they would read them over and over again to remind the people of the resurrection and who Jesus was. Let me read to you some of the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was convinced by the Holy Spirit, who conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so for 1,500 years, they had the knowledge of the fact that Jesus had descended into the depths of the earth to bring out captives, those who were captive in captivity. Let me say it like this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. This will get you going. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over over them and it. Colossians 2, 15. How many know that when Jesus went to hell, what he did was he disarmed the devil and the principalities and disarmed them and took away and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so the weapons, they had removed the weapons. What were the weapons he had removed and were armed but disarmed them? What did he disarm from them? You know, the Bible says 
that John had a Christophany of Jesus when he was writing the book of Revelation. While he was on the island of Patmos to die, Jesus appeared to him and showed himself to him in a vision in Revelation chapter 1. But look what verses 17 and 18 says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. You hear that? Was dead and was dead. All other gods are dead. Our God was dead. All other gods are dead today. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. I am alive forevermore. Amen. I like it. Jesus amens himself. <laughs> I don't feel bad for saying, come on, somebody say amen. I mean, if Jesus is going to amen himself, I'm going to amen myself. How I many know the devil doesn't even have the keys to his own house this morning? <laughs> Many believe that in that Saturday exchange, that moment he paid for sins on the cross, he disarmed principalities, he, he, he took the keys of hell and death, not just for eternity, but also earthly Hell and earthly death. Listen, I've studied this. Jesus just didn't take the keys to death, hell, and the grave just for eternity. He actually took the keys to death, hell, and the grave of every principality and power that runs on this earth. Every hell you've walked through, every principality you've had to fight, every battle you've had to fight, Jesus holds the keys to the victory in every battle. <laughs> Woo. First the pain, then the promise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The keys to everything in life that relates to death and hell. He has the keys to sickness this morning. <laughs> he has the keys to redemption this morning. He has the keys to wholeness and restoration this morning. Hallelujah. Thank God there is an answer in this world. There is, this world is looking for answers. They're trying to find it in every way they can think of. But he is the answer for all mankind. And he holds the keys to victory and life in all of us this morning. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the story of Daniel. You know the story of Daniel. Daniel fasted for 21 days. And he was on the 21st day. And you remember the angel appeared to him at the end of the 21 days. It's recorded in Daniel chapter 10. And it says this in verse 12, it says, Then he continued, the angel appeared to him and said, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Say the first day. This was the 21st day, but the angel said to Daniel, From the first day, God heard you. From the first day, he heard you. And so Daniel must have been thinking, I'm praying, I'm praying, no answer, I'm praying, I'm praying. But the Bible said that God heard him from the first day. And it says this, I have come in response to them 
But the prince of Persia kingdom resisted me 21 days. In other words, there was a demonic principality that, that Michael, the archangel Michael, had to fight. One of the chief princes came to help me, he says. And while you thought I was doing nothing, I've been fighting the prince of Persia for 21 days. While you've been praying, while you've been asking God how come he hasn't answered, how come he hasn't come through, while you've been saying, God, why is this taking so long? God says, I've been working on this from the moment that you have prayed it, from day one. God has been fighting and working on your behalf. Church, it says this this morning. That Saturday reminds us that while we are waiting, Jesus is warring. Hallelujah. I said, while we are waiting, Jesus is warring. While you're in the midst of your pain, waiting for the promise, Jesus is warring. Jesus is battling. While you're waiting, he is not inactive. I don't want to use two words this morning for us. One is the word waiting, and two is the word warring. That Saturday between the pain and the promise, they were waiting and Jesus was warring. And so, let's talk about waiting first. Two things for waiting. Number one, we wait patiently. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I am probably the least moral authority to teach you on this because I'm the least patient person that is probably in this room. So I really don't have any moral authority to be teaching you this, but because I'm always in a hurry. And even even if I'm not late, I'm speeding. (laughs) I mean, I have no reverse. And so it reminds me of this man who asked God, he said, God, um, what's a million years like to you? God said, like a second. Then he asked God the question, he said, God, What's a million dollars like to you? He said, like a penny. And the man said, God, can I have one of those pennies? (laughs) And God said, in just a second. (laughs) Some of y'all got that. (laughs) That's funny, y'all. I don't care what y'all say. That's funny. (laughs) There's a lot of truth in it. The God outside of time sees the beginning from the end. He knows he knows he has you in the palm of his hand. You're going to be all right when he doesn't when you don't think that you are. That's just how God works. He's not in a hurry. I'm sorry to tell you this morning, God's not in a hurry. This doesn't work for America very well, especially because because we live in this drive-through Amazon society. We can, get, we can get what we want when we want it. God just doesn't operate that way. We see that in His Word. We see it in His Word. You know, God had promised Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations, and he didn't have a single child. <laughs> That's what God tells Abraham at 90 years old. Abraham, tired of waiting, takes matters into his own hands. And he created all kinds of issues that we're living with even today. But then he waited. And at 100 years old, when his body lost all of its reproductive ability, God says, okay, now is the time. 
And the Bible says in Hebrews 6.15, this is what it said. And so after he had patiently endured, some translation says after he had waited patiently, he obtained the promise that was received. How many of y'all know that's not a refrigerator scripture? I'm sure many of you are not going to be putting that on your refrigerator. The question is why? Why does God do that? Mean, it's mean, isn't it? Why does God wait? Why does God have us wait in the middle of when we're waiting for God to do something, waiting for God to move in our lives, patiently waiting for him to change his situation, and all of a sudden we're waiting and waiting, and then God at the last minute comes through as we know that he always does. I believe it's because of this. He's as interested as working and working in your life and developing things as he is answering your prayer. In the South, they call it a twofer. You know what a twofer is? It's two for one. You get a two for one deal. God works on our character and answers our prayer at the same time. It's because God is working something in you also. He's not just answering the prayer. Sometimes the waiting is God working on us on the inside so that he can build character in us so that when the promise comes, we're able to steward the promise as he has intended it for us. You say, you're going to have to prove that to me, preacher. Well, I'm glad you asked. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brethren and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. In other words, it's working something on the inside of us. When something is happening to you, God wants to do something in you. So when something is happening to your life, God is wanting to do something through your life and in your life. And so he wants to do something in you. When somebody has has upset you and you're in the right and, 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 they're, and they're in the wrong, God is still working on your character in the middle of that situation. I, y'all, don't, y'all looking at me like you're not convinced this morning, as though I'm telling you a story. I'm here to tell you the things that God does in your life as you are waiting for God's promise, as you're waiting, as you walk through the pain and the difficulty of your life, I'm here to tell you God is working on the inside of you just as much as he is working to answer the promise and the prayer in which you are seeking. God is still working on your character in the middle of that situation. So if you were in the school of character, though the things that, through the things that we face, then what speeds up the school? You pass the test. Fail the test, you retake the grade. Pass the test, you go on to the next level. Lord, Lord, that I may learn what you're teaching me this morning. James 1.4 says this, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Romans 5, 3 says this, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. How many of y'all rejoice in your sufferings? (laughs) 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hallelujah. He's working in us. He's working in us. He's working patience in our lives. Two, we wait hopefully this morning. We wait hopefully this morning. Between Friday and Jesus' death, and that Saturday, those that loved him and knew him, they were waiting hopefully. This is the encouraging part this morning. We're going to pray for folks in just a little bit for, for those who've been in a long wait for something. We're going to believe with you. He is disarming powers and principalities on your behalf this morning. Hebrews 10, 36-39 says this, you need to present, you need to, you need to, to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take, I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do, but we do belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. And are saved. In other words, here's what I come to say to you this morning. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. We all get to the place to where at times we feel like giving up. But as you're waiting between the pain and the promise, don't give up this morning. Don't let go of God. Don't stop believing. Let your perseverance persevere through. Let hope arise inside of you. Let faith continue to be strong inside of you. That to those who have faith and are saved, don't give up. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up. Don't give up. I like what Galatians 6.9 says in the New Living Translations. So, let not, so let's not get tired of doing what is good and just. The right time we will reap a harvest, a blessing, if we don't give up. That's the waiting this morning. While we're waiting, let's do what Jesus did. We have to learn the wait. They had to learn the wait. The time between the pain and the promise, they were waiting. And they had to wait patiently. And they had to wait hopefully. But while we're waiting, we're to do what Jesus did. <laughs> while we're waiting, we're to do what Jesus did. What was Jesus doing? He was warring on our behalf. He was warring on our behalf. How do we war? Number one, we have to war consistently. The first day you pray. You pray the first day. You pray the second day. You pray the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day. And you keep on praying. Even when God shows up and answers the prayer, you keep on praying. You consistently keep fighting the enemy. Listen, prayer is not only communion with God. It's also confronting 
being confrontational with the enemy. Prayer is also confronting hell on your behalf. I had about 20 scriptures I wanted to read for this, but we don't have time to do that. There's not time enough. But Ephesians 6 tells us to stand. We're not to be passive Christians. We're to confront the enemy this morning. We're to war. We're to confront the enemy just like Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 says, For though we live in this world, we do not war. We do not, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On contrary, they have divine power to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. What is a stronghold? The stronghold is defined like this. Something the devil has convinced you of that is not true. That's a stronghold. The devil's convinced you your marriage is never going to change. He's convinced you you'll never be healed. You'll never achieve that dream. That'll never get fixed. It goes on to say we demolish arguments and every and every uh, uh, every petition that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every day pray. Every day. Listen, we have to war every day. I pray for my family every day. I pray for my kids every day. I pray for my church every day. I pray for some of you every day. You have to fight every day. You have to war every day. What do you do between the time of the pain and the promise as you are waiting, hopefully, as you are waiting patiently? You have to war confidently, continuing to pray, continually believe God that he'll work it out and that God will bring an answer to your prayer. And the enemy tells you that's not going to change. That's not going to turn around. I'm here to tell you, you serve a risen Savior who's able to take your situation and turn it around for the goodness of God. Nothing is without hope when Jesus is in the center of it. That's just a fact. (laughs) So we war consistently, and two, we war confidently. Why? We have the name of Jesus. Philippians says this. Philippians 2 says this. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth shall bow. Every knee shall bow. Every knee one day will bow. You may not bow in this life, but I'm here to tell you when Jesus returns, one day you will bow and call Him Lord. Hallelujah. How many know He's the Lord this morning? Praise God. You want to go higher? You want to go a little further? (laughs) I've got a few minutes. I'm going to do it anyway because I got the mic. (laughs) But let's go a little higher this morning. This is where I wanted to get. We're in the time between the pain and the promise. 
what did Jesus actually do? What was he doing? What was Jesus doing? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Hear me out. Calvary is God's divine reach that hell cannot have you. That's what Calvary is. Calvary is God's divine reach that hell could not have you. It's God's divine grace to capture you because the warring on the cross and the death is an incident, not now, not a final state. What Jesus did on the cross is he made death an incident, not a final state. Before the cross, death was a final state. The scripture tells us that before the cross and the resurrection, death was a final state. People, people died and they went to the place called Hades or the holding place and could not get out. But by Jesus' death and that Saturday he got up and he made death no longer a fatal state but an incident. But for a moment on hold on our life. If you don't believe, listen, if you don't believe in the resurrection this morning, then you will not believe in the rapture. Because the Bible, the Bible, the same Bible that teaches us that Jesus was raised from the dead teaches us that the church will be raptured. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse 16 says that he shall descend from heaven with a shout and the trump of the archangel. And the Bible says the dead in Christ shall resurrect first and we which remain in our life shall meet him in the air and shall be changed immediately. What it tells us that there's a resurrection of the dead. And if we're alive at that time, then we shall be caught up in the air with him and be changed. That is a resurrection. That is also the rapture. It's coming. It's going to happen. As I preached a couple weeks ago, the rapture is coming. Some will be left behind. Maybe some in here who don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will be left behind. Dear God. <laughs> Woo, good luck. You can have what's ever in my house because I ain't going to be here. It's going to happen. Now let's go with it this morning. Listen, death is a separation of the soul from the body. That's what death is. It's a separation of the soul from the body. Revelation 20, 14 tells us this. It teaches that there is a second death that happens. We are born once and we die once. But the Bible teaches us there are two births and there are two deaths. If you're born once, you die twice. You die a physical death and you die a spiritual death. The spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. The physical death is the soul from the body. But if you're born twice, you die once. You're born in your natural birth. You're born again into the family of God. And when you die, you are immediately with Jesus. Immediately. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's not a soul separation from God. 
This is the second death. And so there is a second death. Being born again, the soul leaves your body and goes to be with the Lord. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave. I'm thankful today for what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus got up, he got out, and Jesus wants to get in. (laughs) Hallelujah. And because he got up and got out, and because he got in, we one day will get up and get out and go into his presence. (laughs) Hallelujah. If you're born again this morning, you can't stay down. You're going to get up. You're going to rise up. You're going to get up. Hallelujah. He did these three things on Saturday before he rose on Sunday. I want you to remember this because this is what happened between the pain and the promise. Number one, he removed, he removed your transgression. Two, he remembers your sin no more. Three, he releases you from your iniquities. Woo! Come on, I'm already getting happy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number one, he removed your transgressions. What does that mean? Well, there are two words that's used for sin in the Old Testament. The word transgression and the word iniquities. There's a big difference between them both. Iniquity is the inward motivation that drives you towards sin. It's something that happens inside of you. It's iniquity. It's on the inside. It's the driving motivation that drives you towards sin. And then there's transgression. It means an outward action. The word means to trespass, to step over a known boundary. In other words, to think about and then to doing it. To step over a known boundary. Iniquity starts in the heart. It's an attitude. It starts in our heart and it drives us towards sin. Transgression is in your, is in your, is in your hand and is what you do. It's the action of what you do. See, this is why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees would say this. They, they, they would say this. They'd brag and they'd say, we didn't... We didn't do this and we didn't do that. And then Jesus would say to them, he said, he wouldn't let them off the hook because he knew inside they were rotten, they were mean, they were ugly, they were hateful, they were bitter, and they were religious. And so they'd say, we've never committed adultery, but here, stone this woman because she's committed adultery. And Jesus turned to them And he says, you've not done the transgression. But Jesus says that you've committed adultery in your heart. He said that whoever looks upon a woman and lusts for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said, you haven't committed murder, but you have in your heart. If you hate your brother, you are a murderer. And you shall be in danger of judgment. In other words, you may not have done the act in the transgression of murder. But inside, you're so bitter at somebody. You hate them. You are a murderer. So Jesus, so this is what was powerful in Jesus' death. He removed our transgression. Isaiah 53, 5 says, 
We was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed this morning. What is a wound? It's an outward bleeding. What is a transgression? Transgression is an outward act, an outward sin. But the blood of Jesus has covered our outward transgressions. It says it was bruised. He was bruised for our iniquities. What is a bruise? It's an internal bleeding. Iniquity is an inside motivation. In other words, he has cleansed us inside and out. I'll tell you what he was doing on Saturday. He was was destroying principalities. He was taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He was He was trampling over and freeing us from our transgressions and our iniquities this morning. Hallelujah. He cleans us on the inside and out. He cleans us from those things we think about doing and and do. He cleans us from the outside, the transgressions that we do. He removes your transgressions, all of your transgressions through the blood of Jesus. He has removed them this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Secondly, He remembers your sin no more. How many are thankful that He remembers your sin no more? Listen to what Isaiah 43, 25 says. I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Hebrews 8, 12. Listen to this. I will forgive their wickedness and their sins. I will will not remember them no more. Remember means to recall or to bring up for to use against. Never, never, you know, Jesus never says, God says, never says he forgets. He said, I know you did it, but I will never recall to use it against you again or brought up against you again. How many are thankful that he has remembered our sins no more? That once they have been blotted out, he's to cast them as far as the east is from the west. He will remember your sin no more. I don't know about you, but that excites me this morning. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that he has a short memory. Once I brought my sins to the cross, he has forgiven me and washed them away. Remove my iniquities and remove my transgressions and remove and remember my sin no more. What was Jesus doing on that Saturday? He was removing transgression and iniquity. He was taking back for us and remembering our sins no more. You know, I'm convinced that Men lose their memory when we go to sleep. I'm convinced of that because my wife can ask me, she could say, what'd you do yesterday? And uh, I'll be like, "Uh, uh, let me think a minute. I can ask her the same question and I'll get like, well, we went here and there and that and, and, I, and so-and-so had this blue dress on and these earrings and they went there and she'll give you a timetable from eight in the morning till four in the afternoon. I mean, just, I mean, just like that. <laughs> I mean, she'll tell me. I mean, women never forget nothing. 
<laughs> I mean, they forget num- nothing. They can remember what the clothes they had on the last time they saw you. <laughs> All the unmarried men are like, what are you talking about, Pastor? <laughs> I mean, she can tell me things I talked about a year ago. And it can even tell me my mannerisms, how my hands went, and how I did. And, and <laughs> sometimes during the midweek, I'll ask her, I'll say, hey, what did I wear to church last Wednesday? Because I can't remember. And she'll tell me. She'll remember it. I'm like, listen, the Bible says that God made man both male and female. He created them in His image. Right? And so, you know, if men and women are made in the image of God, there's a female side to God. Right? But thank be to God, there's a male side to God. (laughs) That He doesn't remember our sins. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. But he remembers our sins no more. Hallelujah. Number three, he does this. He releases us from our iniquities. He releases us from our iniquities. It has to do with us being set free. Sever you from, to sever you from the bent You know, the word iniquity means to be bent towards something. It means that it's that inward inward drive that drives you to sin, as I mentioned before. Iniquity can be generational. How many know drunkenness can can run in a family? How many know addiction can run in a family? How many know that divorce, the spirit of divorce, and these things can run in generations just like that? But I'm here to tell you that Jesus paid the price so that we could break and release us from every iniquity that's in our life and to set us free from it, to sever us from those tendencies and the weaknesses that are in our life, the pain, the addiction, our past. How many know he forgives our past? Hallelujah. He breaks the iniquities of our life. It's a soul healing that he does. I thank God that we've got ministries here that help us break iniquities in our life. We have God's ER that helps people pray through breaking iniquities. We have people that offer deliverance in this congregation that helps break iniquities in your life. Why? Why? Because God wants you free this morning. He doesn't just want you saved. He wants you to live free and have a victorious life in Him. But generational curses, things, the iniquities can keep us from victorious living. I'm going to close with this this morning. Pastor Adam, you can come. Worship team can come. But the resurrection just wasn't a New Testament principle. It was all through the Old Testament. You see the principle of the resurrection. The story of Noah, we see the resurrection. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 4, the Bible said that that the water after 150 days began to subside. And listen to this. It said that it began to subside on the seventh month and the 17th day, the ark rested on Mount Ararat. Now, how many know God wastes no words in Scripture? And so here 
He raises the ark up. It sets on the mountain. And the waters of judgment begin to recede. They begin to recede. The ark is placed on Mount Ararat and the judgment waters begin to recede. Now this is interesting because the seventh month and the 17th day, the timing of this is amazing. Because Passover, Passover, which was Friday, when the lamb was slain, which was when Jesus was crucified, he hung on the cross from 12 to 3 in the afternoon, hanging on the cross. And at 3 o'clock, on Passover, the Jews would sacrifice the sacrificial lamb. They would blow a trumpet at three in the afternoon, the ninth hour of the day, the very time Jesus was giving up the ghost. Jesus was dying on Calvary. A lamb was being slain in the temple. One was temporary. The other was forever. After Jesus died, there never again needed to be another sacrifice made for man. Hallelujah. Now get this. It was on the seventh month and the 14th day that Passover and they would slay the lamb. 15, 16, 17. On the third day was the 17th. On the 17th, the flood waters receded. The judgment waters receded. It was a picture of death being destroyed on the cross by Jesus. The 14th day, the lamb was slain. On the 17th day, three days later, death was defeated. The ark came to a rest and judgment ceased. I don't know about you, but that's pretty powerful to me. Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. He takes Isaac, he takes Isaac, his only son. The Bible said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who whatsoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Isaac, Abraham takes Isaac, his only son, and he takes him up on the mountain to sacrifice him to God. God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Now get this. The Bible gives us graphic detail. Isaac is 17 years old. And the Bible says that he puts wood on his back and he climbs up the mountain a three days journey. He gets to the top of the mountain and Isaac, Abraham is 100, Isaac is 17. And Isaac lays down on that altar. Abraham didn't put him there. He laid down there. I don't know if Abraham could have put him there if he wanted him to. Nobody made him lay down there on that altar. Think about this for a minute. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26, Jesus said, I lay my life down. No man takes my life. I lay my life down. Jesus said, I could call legion of angels in a moment and could free me. Abraham, nobody, laid Isaac down. And as Abraham lifted that knife, all of a sudden, God intervened, an angel intervened, and told him not to do it, for God has made a substitute for him. 
It was a ram in the thicket. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history. Abraham was from where? His original homeland was what? The Ur of the Chaldees, right? The Ur of the Chaldees worshipped, they worshipped an idol. And the idol that they worshipped was a, was, a, was a statue of a ram that was caught in the thicket. It was called the God of Fertility. The Ur of the Chaldeans worshipped them. And so God stopped Abraham from killing him and said, I've made a substitute. There is a ram in the thicket. I have a picture of that, the one that's in the Smithsonian Institute. That is an idol that the Ur of the Chaldees worshipped. Abraham's, Abraham's descendants worshipped that. It is a ram caught in the thicket. It is a god of fertility. What is God doing? God is speaking to Abraham in his own language. He's relating to Abraham. He said, I have a substitute. I am your posterity. I am the one who gives life. You left other gods behind. I'm giving you a sacrifice that's a substitute. And Abraham sacrificed that lamb. And so get this. Here's the picture of the resurrection. Isaac the son who went up to the mountain to die walked off that mountain of death three days later very much alive. Just as Jesus. I'm going to finish with this. One day, they came to Jesus and they said, do some tricks, Jesus. Do some miracles. Show us that you're the Son of God. Do some, do, we know you could do some tricks. Do some tricks. Jesus said, you're a wicked generation. Only a wicked generation looks for a sign. But if you've got to have a sign... He said, have you considered Jonah who went into the belly of a fish for three days and came out again? So the Son of Man shall go into the bowels of the earth and three days I'll come out again. Now, this message of Jonah, Jonah Jonah's message of judgment was he was to go to Nineveh and pronounce God's judgment in 40 days. No, Jonah went the other way. He wasn't going to do what God said. He hated the Ninevites. He hated them. He wanted God's judgment to fall on them. And if he would have went, all he would have done was say, judgment is coming in 40 days. But he went into the belly of the fish. The Bible says this fish spit him out on the earth. He was in there three days, and the Bible said that fish spitted him out. And then he gets the message. He gets up and he goes to Nineveh. Like God had told him to it first of all. But listen, Jonah wasn't the same man before he went into the fish as he came out of the fish. He was a resurrected man. How many know that a resurrected man thinks different than the man before he's resurrected? How many know your life is different now that you've been resurrected in the spirit by God than it was before you found Jesus? So what does... What does Noah do? Or what does Jonah do? He goes to the Ninevites and he adds a word. He says to the Ninevites, 40 days to repent or God will judge you. He didn't go and say God's going to judge you. He said 40 days to repent. A resurrected man is a man of mercy. 
is a man that preaches mercy. A resurrected man doesn't preach judgment. They preach the mercy of God. He said, you've got six weeks. He said, you've got 40 days to get your act together and believe God and repent and find mercy in God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, Jesus didn't come just to pronounce judgment. He came with mercy. What was he doing on Saturday? He was removing our transgression. He was remembering our sin no more. Thank you, Jesus. And he was freeing us from our iniquities. Freeing us from our iniquities. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.